Well, this is the final message on the church, and I'm going to be reading a number of different scriptures throughout the message, so I'm not going to uh, read any verses right now at the start. But there should be an outline in your bulletin you can follow along with, and there are printed messages available at all the exits. Feel free to get up and grab one now if you'd like. Um, And all the messages are on the church website as well. I want to talk about how to spend the Lord's day. Don't know how much you know history, but the fact is, if you or I had lived in colonial America, all of us would have a record. We would have spent time in prison, or at the very least, we would have paid heavy fines. Uh, The reason is because we've all traveled on the Lord's Day. We've all done things for recreation on the Lord's Day. And in that time, it was called Sabbath-breaking. And it was against the law. In fact, even as recently as the mid-1800s in what is now a rather liberal state, California... Uh, We'd all be lawbreakers because an 1855 law in California banned all, quote, noisy amusements on Sunday. So if you got excited playing volleyball and yelled, boy, you're in trouble. Uh, An 1858 law banned almost all Sunday business transactions, and courts prosecuted those who indulged in minstrel shows, I think that's where some you go and hear somebody sing, horse racing, dancing, and other, quote, barbarous diversions on that day of rest. Now, those blue laws were repealed in California in, in 1883, but interestingly, when I began seminary in Dallas in 1968, I remember walking into the um, drugstore And there were tarps draped over many, many aisles of merchandise that you were not allowed to buy on Sunday. Uh, Maybe that's where it got the name Blue Laws. I don't know. They were those blue, you know, tarps that we use. Uh, The popular 19th century Plymouth Brethren devotional writer named C.H. McIntosh, and by the way, most of what he writes is really very edifying, But he expressed his alarm over Christians who disregard the Lord's Day. Here's what he said. The idea of anyone calling himself a Christian, making the Lord's Day a season of what is popularly called recreation, unnecessary traveling, personal convenience, or profit in temporal things, is perfectly shocking. I can hear him saying that in his British accent. Uh, He said, we are of the opinion that such acting could not be too severely censured. We can safely assert that we never yet came in contact with a godly, intelligent, right-minded person who did not love and reverence the Lord's day, nor could we have any sympathy with anyone who could deliberately desecrate that holy and happy day. We feel persuaded that any who in any wise profane or treat with lightness the Lord's day 
act in direct opposition to the word and spirit of God. I dare say he indicts most of us on his charge. And you may think, wow, that guy's way out there. But the fact is, he is quite in line with many other Christians who hold that Sunday is now what they would call the Christian Sabbath. And they bring over many of the Old Testament Sabbath uh, ideas into the New Testament. For example, the very well-known Westminster Shorter Catechism says in answer to question 60, the Sabbath, they mean Sunday, is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. And I have a more recent popular commentary on that uh, Westminster Catechism and, and Confession. And the author says that television, reading newspapers and magazines, and engaging in sports or excursions, in other words, taking a drive on a Sunday, are not proper activities on the Sabbath. Uh, I have even read some Sabbath-keeping Christians who argue that it is improper even to talk about anything other than uh, spiritual subjects on Sunday. So if you're at church and you say, hey, how about that Diamondbacks game last night? You have violated the Sabbath in the minds of these Sabbath-keeping Christians. Now, let me say I don't agree with those views. I'm just sharing it with you so you understand that if you're with me, you're certainly not in sync with many Christians, uh, both in the past and in the present. There are many Christians today who don't think anything about uh, watching football games or mowing their yards or doing other things on Sundays that I'm sure would send C.H. McIntosh into cardiac arrest. Um, That's where our culture is at. And so I'm going to risk alienating people on all sides this morning. Uh, I will probably alienate some who are more on the Sabbath-keeping side, and I will perhaps alienate some who just figure, oh, well, Sunday's just another day. I'm going to offer my view of how you should spend the Lord's day. And here's my thesis that we should spend, we should usually spend the Lord's day, first of all, meeting with the saints for worship, instruction, fellowship, the Lord's Supper and prayer, and also resting from our normal duties. Now I say usually because we are not under the strictness of the law of Moses with its penalties for Sabbath-breaking. Under the law, there were no exceptions. There's an instance in Numbers chapter 15 where a man was caught picking up sticks for his fire on the Sabbath. And Moses asked the Lord what to do, and the Lord instructed Moses, take him out and stone him to death. That was the penalty 
for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And I'm going to argue that if Sunday is now the Christian Sabbath, then the church should discipline those who do anything to violate that holy day because they're breaking the fourth commandment. That's kind of the argument of those who are what we'd call Sabbatarians. Now, I don't agree with that view for several reasons. You come to the New Testament, and the Sabbath command is never repeated. Uh, Nine of the other ten commandments are repeated in some form in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul did not teach uh, observing Sunday as a Christian Sabbath to new Gentile believers in Christ. And if anybody needed instruction on that, these people coming from pagan backgrounds would. But rather, Paul expressed his concern to the Galatians because he said uh, they observed days and months and seasons and years. And he told the Romans that the matter of observing one day above uh, every other day was just up to everybody's conscience. Some did that, some didn't. Paul said, do whatever you feel the Lord directs you to do. I, I just can't conceive of Paul saying that to men and women coming out of a pagan background if Sunday is to be observed as the Sabbath. And then he told the Colossians in Colossians 2.16, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon, and then he adds, or a Sabbath day. And again, how in the world could he write that to people who had no background in, in um, Christianity or in the Jewish faith? Many of the, the believers were slaves and so on, if Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And then also, the Jerusalem Council gave spe- specific stipulations that the church was to uh, inform Gentile believers of, saying... You don't want to do these things because it would really create a distance between you and Jewish people. And they never mention keeping Sunday as holy to the Lord. And so the first point that I want to make is simply that usually we should spend the Lord's Day then meeting with the saints for worship, instruction, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. It's not a command. I think it should, however, be our normal practice uh, on the first day of the week. Uh, There are no New Testament commands about keeping Sundays holy as a Christian Sabbath, and you can look through the New Testament, and the only command that we might refer to what we would call church attendance is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And there, The author says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Apparently some were not meeting regularly with the church, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, From that, I think we can extrapolate that our habit, our normal procedure should be we gather with the saints on the Lord's day. 
And we have some examples in the New Testament that we'll mention um, that the early church met on Sundays, not on Saturdays. But again, there are no commandments, and so I don't believe that it's a sin to miss church occasionally uh, if that's not your habit. For a personal example, uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, uh, Marla and I, along with Gary and Faith Fit, will be hiking out of a crater on Maui after a three-day backpack trip. And uh, if that was what I usually did on Sunday, I would argue, yeah, I got a spiritual problem. But on an occasional vacation day when we, I think we're free to do such things, I'm going to argue I shouldn't be a candidate for church discipline when I get back. Um, I just don't believe that that law is binding on New Testament believers. Now let me look for a minute at why Christians normally gather on Sundays for worship. And that is because Sunday is uh, the Lord's Day because he arose from the dead on that day. The only New Testament example of the Lord's Day is in Revelation 1.10 where the Apostle John just writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and Almost all scholars agree that he's referring to Sunday. The change of worship from Saturday, the Sabbath, to Sunday, the first day of the week, uh, was the result of a, a long process that coincided with the spread of the faith to the Gentiles. But Sunday became the Christian day of worship because that's the day our Lord arose from the dead. And so to celebrate that... Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate it once a year, kind of keeping with the church calendar. But really, every Sunday, we are here to celebrate Jesus arose from the dead on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. And so we read in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 that when Paul and his traveling companions met with the church in Troas... Luke writes, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them. Now apparently it was on Sunday evening that they met, not morning, because he continues and tells how Paul continued his message until midnight. I hope he didn't start that message in the morning and go all the way to midnight, but... um, Apparently, they met in the evening because Sunday was not a normal day off. And there are cultures today in Muslim countries. um, In Nepal, for example, the church meets there on Saturday. Uh, Nepal is Hindu country. But um, in that day, apparently, Sunday was not a day off. The slaves could not be free to gather with the church Sunday morning, but they had free time Sunday evening. And so... Paul uh, met with the church and uh, preached to them then. Uh, Tertullian, an early 3rd century Christian, was the first writer to urge the cessation of labor on Sundays, but he didn't do it based on the Sabbath command, but rather because he wanted to preserve Sunday as a day of worship. And Constantine, who was an early 4th century uh, emperor of the Roman Empire, was the first to prescribe Sunday as a day of rest. 
there's no indication, however, that in the New Testament that the early church viewed Sunday as a carryover from the Jewish Sabbath, that there was a trade-off. And now we are a, um, that Sunday is a Christian Sabbath. And as I said, <clears throat> there are no New Testament commands on, you may do this on Sunday, but not this. You, you just won't find those in the New Testament epistles. Um, John called it the Lord's Day, and I think there's an implication there that the day belongs to the Lord. And then we have the example, the early church gathered for the Lord's Supper and instruction from the Apostle Paul on that day. Also, we have an example from the early church in Jerusalem, and that is that usually then on the Lord's Day, we should meet with the saints for worship, for instruction, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And here I'm basing that on Acts 2.42, where it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then in Colossians 3.16, Paul directs the church there, let the word of Christ dwell within you, um, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so first of all, we are to meet with the saints for worship, and I'm using worship here as a catch-all summary of all of the activities mentioned in uh, those two verses we just read, Acts 2.42 and Colossians 3.16. I think we tend to think worship means singing. And we get together and we say, well, I missed the worship time, but I got in on the sermon or that kind of thing. But I think that worship should take place through singing, through prayer, through the Lord's Supper, through preaching the word, all of the above. Uh, John MacArthur says, Worship, by the way, is not music. Worship is loving God. Worship is honoring God. Worship is knowing God for who he is, adoring him, obeying him, proclaiming him as a way of life. Music is one way that we express that adoration. And I like John MacArthur's simple definition of worship. He says, Worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. All that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. And then uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, gave a more thorough and more eloquent definition. He said to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. And as I've thought about it, it seems to me that worship takes place when we get a glimpse of how great God is, and simultaneously at the same moment we recognize how small and sinful we are. 
And, and it's those two coming together, and of course the cross of Christ bridges that chasm that causes us to go, oh wow, how great you are, God, and to worship him. And so we should regularly meet with the saints then on the Lord's Day for worship. Uh, all, that includes meeting with the saints then for instruction in God's word. Uh, it would have been great, wouldn't it, to have been in the early church and to gather on the Lord's Day to hear Peter and James and John and the other apostles talk about uh, the things of Christ as they had learned them from him as he opened the word there in Luke 24 and begin, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he told them the things about himself in all of scripture. Um, or assuming that you didn't fall asleep and fall out of the third story window as Eutychus did in Acts 20, as Paul went on till midnight, it would have been great to be a part of that church in Troas. And here's the apostle Paul and to sit up late listening, hanging on every word as Paul expounded again the things of God from the scriptures. The Puritans, normally, by the way, their sermons lasted at least an hour, sometimes two hours. Um, Don't worry, I'm not going to go there. But um, they believed, this is a quote from John Owen, the first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligent preaching of the word. I've read articles recently that say, you know, preaching was fine for a bygone day, but that's just not going to cut it with the millennials today and the younger people. Uh, You you need to adapt the message in some other way. Uh, I I would have to disagree. I think I agree with J.I. Packer in the book I just cited from A Quest for Godliness. He explains to the Puritan... Faithful preaching was the basic ingredient in faithful pastoring. And as I mentioned in an earlier message in this series on the church, looking for a good church, I made the point that I think if you're looking for a good church, the number one criterion you need to consider is finding a church that treasures and teaches God's word of truth accurately to equip the saints for the work of Service. So preaching should be part of our worship and our normal Sunday gathering. And then in the third place, we meet for worship, we meet for instruction, but we also meet with the saints for fellowship. And maybe you're thinking, oh yeah, I love the coffee and the pastries. Fellowship. How sweet that is. Well, as you know, that's not fellowship. Fellowship, true fellowship, means we share together in the things of God, especially Christ and the gospel. And fellowship involves loving one another and serving one another and building up one another in Christ and all the other one another uh, commands in the Bible. But it's all centered around Jesus Christ. And You've experienced that, no doubt, as I have, when you're in a strange place and maybe even overseas and you meet another believer in Christ and instantly you feel close to them. There's just that bond that you share Christ together. And this is my brother, this is my sister in Christ. And 
it doesn't take very long and you feel even closer to them than you do to some of your own family members who don't know the Lord. And so being part of a church, in other words, then, is more than just coming and attending like you do a theater and leaving, maybe saying hi to a person. You've got to build into the lives of other saints and let them build into your life. And for that reason, we really encourage you to be a part of a small group, a home fellowship, or some way, uh, a men's group, a women's group, some way you can get to know people on a deeper level and encourage and build each other up in Christ. And then we meet with the saints for the Lord's Supper in Acts 2.42 and also chapter 20, verse 7, when it says they met for the breaking of bread. It probably was a communal meal, uh, but also included then partaking of the Lord's Supper. And there's no command to partake of the Lord's Supper weekly, but we do have an example, and I think it's one to emulate, and we are working to uh, make the Lord's Supper be more frequent here among our own fellowship. But the Lord's Supper proclaims the gospel. It really shows the gospel, because why are we partaking? Because Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And, of course, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And Paul says that as long as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death until he comes. That implies he's risen and he's coming back again. And uh, the Lord's Supper reminds us that his shed blood covers all our sins, that we don't come to him by works We come based on the grace shown to us at the cross through Christ. The Lord's Supper also holds us accountable each week to deal with our sins. You can't let them pile up because you're coming to the Lord's table. And so uh, if you've had an angry exchange with your spouse or with your kids during the week and you're about to partake of the Lord's Supper, time to confess to the Lord And say, Lord, the second the service is over and I get to be alone with my family, I will ask their forgiveness for the way I wronged them and make that right. Uh, The same thing if you're at odds with another believer in the church. You can't glare at them across the church and eat the bread and drink the wine. you got to deal with it in your heart and say, Lord, I need to be reconciled to my brother, to my sister. Maybe this week, nobody knew you sinned, but you sinned in thought. Or maybe it was a word, or maybe it was a wrong deed. Again, the Lord's Supper is a time to examine yourself before you partake and say, Lord, that was sinful, and I, I want to be right with you and claim his forgiveness. Maybe you're lacking assurance that you're a child of God. Well, the Lord's Supper reminds you it's not based on works. It's based on what Christ did on the cross. And so all of these things are in the Lord's Supper. And uh, I I just want to encourage us that we would uh, begin again to practice it more often. And um, it's really a, a great picture for us that we stand forgiven before the throne of God, not by works, but by what Christ did. And I hope that's real for every one of you. 
And then finally, Acts 2.42 says that we meet with the saints for prayer. Um, Literally, Acts 2.42 is the fellowship and the prayers. They were continually devoting themselves to the prayers. And I think it refers to set times of corporate prayer. And wherever, whenever the church meets, prayer should be there. I'm always encouraged here Sunday mornings when between or before services or after service, I'll see believer with believer and they're just praying together because prayer is our acknowledgement that we are 100% dependent on the Lord. And prayer brings encouragement to one another as we take our needs to the Lord. And so whether it's Sunday morning when we gather, whether we meet in home fellowships or men's Bible study, women's Bible study, wherever it's at, uh, prayer should be woven into the fabric of our gatherings together. And, of course, some of our songs on Sunday morning are directed to the Lord in prayer. And at our elders' meetings, we now are praying through the church directory each elder meeting. And if you have a prayer need, if you're on the list for That particular meeting, you should get an email if you're on our church email list, and we will pray for you. And often, again, as elders, sometimes we're in the middle of a difficult matter, and we just stop and say, you know, we just need to pray for this need. And the same should be true in your personal and family life, as your family maybe is facing a crisis, maybe tempers are flaring, it really calms you down to say, wait wait a minute, let's just pray. Let's just pray. I don't know what's wrong here, but could we pray? And you just kind of the, the steam goes out of the pressure and you pray and then you can talk about a problem. Or maybe your family hears about another family that's in crisis or a, a need or whether whatever it may be, um, the Charlottesville riots or whatever, Just stop and pray and pray. Um, I'll just say this too. If you want to enhance your your time with the Lord's people on Sunday, one key is get a head start the night before. Now, I'm forced to do that because I could not get up here and speak to you if I did not spend time with the Lord on Saturday night and just make sure my heart is right and go over my sermon and preach it to myself and all of that. And for that reason, I refuse to come to any social events on Saturday night unless I can be away by 7 o'clock and be home because I just find I need to prepare my heart. But um, I, I would encourage you, if you could just spend 30 minutes on a Saturday night going before the Lord, getting in the Word, praying, asking Him that He would meet with us on Sunday, I think our Sunday gatherings would be enhanced. As all of us kind of came in loaded, so to speak. We're ready because we've, we've prayed up, we've worshipped the Lord on Saturday night. Um, there was a Puritan man named George Swinock, and he advised that if, if you light the fire of your heart and worship on Saturday night, then like the embers that are in your fireplace, it's just easier to stir up the fire on Sunday morning. You've maybe had that experience where you 
You got the fire blazing Saturday night, go to bed Sunday morning. You hardly need any kindling because there's still coals there. You just get it going again. I would also just point out to you, by the way, that some of you may not be aware, but our church meets on Sunday night as well. Sometimes different purposes, different reasons, sometimes a missionary presentation, sometimes another thing. We're going to be doing some messages on the Psalms this fall. Um, I know we're all busy. I know you got school kids that need to get to bed and all of those excuses, but uh, may I suggest that coming and gathering with the saints on Sunday night beats watching TV, surfing the web on your computer, or whatever else you're doing. And we're going to bump the service up to 5.30 this fall, too. So if you have kids, we should be out of here before 7, and you can get them home and to bed for school day. But I think what I'm saying is if you want to grow in Christ, make Sunday the Lord's Day, not your day. It's the Lord's Day, a day to, to grow in Him. And uh, just ask yourself the question, how can I use the Lord's Day for the most spiritual profit? And I would say you'd benefit spiritually if your habit normally is you gather with the saints for worship, for instruction, for fellowship with other Christians, for the Lord's Supper and prayer. And then... The second half, and I'm going to here offer a suggestion. This is not a command, but a suggestion. And I think you would profit from my suggestion physically, uh, emotionally, relationally, as well as spiritually. And that is that we should usually spend the Lord's Day resting from our normal duties. Now, I'm not drawing this from the New Testament uh, epistles, but rather from the principle of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And then Jesus' words in Mark 2.27, where he said, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then there's this kind of startling verse in Exodus 31.17. It says, God ceased from labor on the seventh day and was refreshed. It's that second part that's kind of startling, isn't it? Huh? God was refreshed? Well, I don't think God was tired and went, Phew, I'm glad that creation stuff's over. Now I can catch my breath and rest. No, I think the Lord was setting an example for us to imitate his pattern. And again, we are not under the law of Moses, and I don't believe Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And I'll remind you, there are no New Testament commands about uh, what you can or can't do on Sunday or observing Sunday as a day of worship and rest. I'm just arguing this. The principle that we have with the Lord in creation and of the Sabbath is setting apart one day of the week from our normal duties uh, and, and gathering with the saints for worship and so on benefits us spiritually, physically, emotionally, and relationally. And so as much as we can, just blocking out, I know I got a zillion things I got to get done this week, uh, but no, this is a day to rest from all of that, to meet with the saints, to 
worship the Lord, fellowship with his people. Now, I know life, again, is busy, and I know that some of you have to work on some Sundays. Uh, If that's your situation, maybe you can join us Sunday night uh, on those days. Maybe you need to take another day during the week and make it your Sabbath day, your, your rest day. Try to listen maybe to a sermon or uh, put on some praise music, read your Bible, spend more time in prayer uh, than, than you normally can spend in a busy week. And uh, I just am saying this, we all need some time every week to recharge our spiritual batteries. And if it's just go, 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 and every day is the same as the other, I think that's why we're burning out like light bulbs, because we just don't get time for rest from the normal week. And uh, sometimes during the week, I admit, even as a pastor, oh, I got to get there, I got a meeting, and so my quiet time is really rushed, you know. It's, it's just maybe 20, 30 minutes, and I got to get out the door. And um, you just need time, time to spend with God. You know, when you spend time with someone, you're sending a message and saying, I love you and you're important to me, important enough to set aside all the other stuff, and now I'm with you. And I'm saying we need to do that with the Lord, is just have a weekly appointment where we say, Lord, all right, this is your time. I'm with you and uh, I love you. And of course, too, on Sundays, we can spend time with family, with friends, with uh, other believers. Maybe Sunday's a good day for you to instruct your children in a way that you can't do during the week when it's a busy schedule. But I think the main thing, make sure your family gathers with the Lord's people normally and that it's a day devoted to the Lord and the things of the Lord and um, relationships with your family, and other believers. Now, I want to end the sermon with a warning, however. And that is, I think we all fall in, easily fall into the danger of legalism, where we make up man-made rules. They aren't in the Bible. And we keep those rules because we like them. We made them up. And then we judge everybody else who doesn't keep our rules. You know, I'm more spiritual than he is because... I don't watch football on Sunday or whatever the rule is. So you got to guard against it. That's what happened with the Pharisees in the New Testament. And uh, even the Puritans, and they were really very exemplary in many ways, but they kind of went overboard on Sabbath keeping. Leland Riken in his book, Worldly Saints, and it's a great book, I urge you to read it, but he says this, in New England... Two young lovers were tried for sitting together on the Lord's Day under an apple tree in Goodman Chapman's orchard. That's it. They weren't making out. They were just sitting there. But it was the Lord's Day. You couldn't sit with your lover on the Lord's Day, apparently. Um, Someone else, he says, was publicly reproved for writing a note about common business on the Lord's Day at least in the evening, somewhat too soon. So he he apparently jumped the gun, and before the Lord's Day was officially over, he wrote some kind of a a business note, and he was uh, reproved for that. Or Elizabeth Eddy of Plymouth, 
was fined for wringing and hanging out clothes. Uh, apparently she shouldn't have done that. And then a New England soldier, this one's pretty major, he was uh, in trouble because he wet a piece of an old hat to put in his shoe to protect his foot. Uh, boy, talk about overboard. Well, thankfully we're a long ways from that kind of legalism, but we still need to guard against the danger because, again, I can't find a single New Testament command on you may do this on Sunday, you may not do this. That's not there. And so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. The only command is don't forsake assembling together as is the habit of some. All I'm saying this morning is I think you would further your growth and your family's growth if your normal habit on Sunday was to spend that day with God's people for instruction, worship and instruction, fellowship, the Lord's Supper in prayer, and stopping your normal stuff you have to do and just let that stuff ride, meet with God's people and with your family. Uh, Interesting quote here from a man who's not a Christian to my knowledge, Michael Medved, He's a conservative Jewish film critic. But commenting some years ago about the Jewish Sabbath, Medved said this, However urgent the phone calls and faxes and demands of career may be, the Sabbath reminds us that the voices of children, the company of friends, and the giving thanks to God are far more important. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you're not at peace with God, you certainly can't have his rest that is talked about in the book of Hebrews that we cited during the worship time. The good news is, no matter how great your sin, if you will come and trust in Christ, he forgives all your sins and clothes you with his perfect righteousness so that you can stand before God and not fear judgment. And it's not by works of righteousness that we've done. It's by his grace, undeserved favor, through faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood that covers the sins of all those who believe. So we invite you just now in your heart, you can pray, Lord God, I need Jesus to forgive my sins. And I just trust him right now for that. Make me a new creature in him. Father, I pray that the instruction from your word would help all of my brothers and sisters to grow in you that this church would be an honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.